Welcome to another edition of Expanding Mind. I'm your host, Eric Davis, continuing our conversations about the cultures of consciousness. It's been a fun couple of weeks uh, for uh, heavy music fans, including myself. Um, I got to see uh, UFO Mamont, this great Italian sort of prog heavy metal band in a, a small club in San Francisco, and they were as excellent as the last time I saw them. Uh, and uh, I caught the Sleep, uh, one of the great uh, drone metal bands that we'll be talking about in this uh, episode um, at the Warfield, and it was a, a mighty good time. The uh, the speak uh, the amplifier stacks were high and glowing. Uh, the crowd was uh, uh, tranced out. Uh, the, the the cannabis was good, uh, and it was a, a pretty remarkable good time. And then the final thing to mention, which is one that I would particularly recommend to uh, listeners, though not technically a drone metal band, I would say it is a doom metal band, and as we, if we want to get arcane, we can say that there's a intimate relationship between drone metal and doom metal, uh, but the uh, Yob's uh, new record, Our Raw Heart, is a true masterpiece, uh, and particularly worth mentioning on this show because of the way in which it handles uh, certain spiritual themes, and one of the things we're going to be talking about today is the various ways that mysticism, religion, uh, uh, ritual uh, are sort of bound up with the whole process of, of talking about and listening to and enjoying, or maybe not even enjoying necessarily, submitting oneself to uh, powerful drone metal bands. And though Yob's not drone metal, the, uh, the way in which uh, spirituality and, and sort of uh, er earnest messages are handled both musically and uh, in terms of the lyrics, is particularly remarkable. The the singer had a had a brush with death, so diverticulitis, I think is how you pronounce it, and so he wrote the the album supposedly in the in the hospital, and it's so it's really wrestling with life and death and uh, uh, original, you know, absolute mind and Quechua ideas, and it's it's a very very powerful record. I've I've been listening to it every day, and it's been sustaining me through some. Uh, somewhat grueling days as I try to finish uh, my own um, big monster book. But today we're here to talk about another uh, monster book, maybe monstrous not quite so much in its length, but certainly in its topic, which is Owen Coggins' book, Mysticism, Ritual, and Religion in Drone Metal. Now, I must say, and I, I usually do not uh, talk to people who have books that come out that cost millions of dollars. And I believe this one retails at like 85 bucks or something. And that's because it's on an academic press, Bloomsbury. The whole academic publishing world is completely rotten, in my opinion, and, and no longer serving uh, scholars, readers, uh, topics, etc. I could rant on and on. Uh, but this book was so interesting to me. Uh, and the topics were so right on that I, I, I don't care. Um, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to find us through a lending library or some other uh, a way in which uh, expensive material is distributed uh, through in our darknet age. Uh, because it's really, if you're into this kind of music, if you're into metal, if you're into questions about religion and popular culture, uh, it's really quite uh, a, a rich read. Scholarly for sure. Uh, but Owen uh, Coggins, the author, did a lot of uh, ethnography, so there's a lot of really nice 
juicy quotations and observations about the uh, the fans of drone metal. Uh, anyway, here's some drone metal going on in the background there. Um, and so it, 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 for that reason alone, it's fascinating, but even more interesting is the ways in which it, it meditates on mysticism and religion in popular culture uh, in a real nitty-gritty way that was quite uh, enlightening to read. So, uh, Owen, uh, welcome to Expanding Mind. Thank you. It's good to be here. Very good. So this is your, was this your dissertation? Yeah, so my, um, uh, it was my, uh, my PhD was about, um, was about drone metal in, um, I was kind of split between a music and a religious studies department, which was, which was perfect. Uh, and so my, my PhD thesis, uh, I finished at the end of 2015, um, called Drone Metal Mysticism. They wouldn't let me keep the title for the book. They said it needed to be a bit more straightforward. Um, uh, and yeah, so I, and then after I finished, uh, the doctorate, um, I kind of did a bit more work, um, on some of the chapters, the comparison, for example, between how people talk about drone metal and, uh, dub reggae and trance music in terms of mysticism and, and religious experience and so on. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy that it's now, it now exists in book form. I should say I'm, I'm a little self-conscious about the price myself, uh, but I should say I've been promised that it's going to come out in a in a much cheaper paperback version next summer. That's good, and I, I I know it's a tricky it's a tricky issue getting your stuff published and all that. It's not I don't no no aspersions cast in your direction. It's just it's a it's a symptom of a larger problem that we're all mm-hmm. that we're all kind of stu- uh, stuck within. Well, you know, obviously the, the you know one of the things about um, genre is that you can spend, you know, an untold amount of time uh, talking about genre terms and defining things and clarifying what thing, what is an example of what, and you can do this in electronic dance music, you can do it uh, in, in metal, certainly. Um, and so I, I, I recognize that asking for some kind of sense of what drone metal is is already complicated. Uh, but that said, I feel like, um, especially for, for listeners who... who maybe you're familiar with heavy metal in general as a kind of thing, but don't know specifics or, or whatever, that it would be helpful to, to drill down a little bit because you really are looking at a very specific collection of, of groups and uh, sounds mm-hmm. and strategies. Uh, and since you're the expert here, <laughs> I would, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about um, what, what characterizes drone metal. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, um, I guess having had to describe it to people who don't know anything about uh, even kind of heavy metal uh, several times, I'd probably say that drone metal is an extreme form of of metal music um, characterized particularly by slowness, repetition, and extremes of amplification and distortion. Uh, Sometimes you can can kind of almost describe it as as think of like a, a classic, say, 10 seconds of heavy metal thrash thrash metal by slayer or something but then take that 10 seconds and slow it down over the course of about 30 minutes and that's that's what drone metal sounds like um having said that there is quite a kind of diversity within what can be called drone metal maybe drone doom extreme doom metal um the 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 terminology can kind of shift a little obviously i had to settle on one thing to talk about uh, in the book. So I settled on drone metal because it, it felt like it was important that it was a form of metal music, but also the drone captured this kind of really extended dirge-like repetition or or just kind of 
just heavy bass vibration that went on for a long time. Well, you mentioned the, the word vibration there, and I think that's also key. I think one of the why why I'm glad you settled on the term drone metal is that the, the, the term drone, um, you know, re refers to a specific kind of physically defined musical sound that we can you, mm -hmm. you can note in other uh, musics as well. And that connection itself is also kind of interesting. How does this relate to the drone in, you know, Indian music or in Lamont yeah. Young or something like that? But more to the point is that there's something physical about this music that is brought forward. And you talk about that in really interesting ways, both the materiality of sound, the sense of vibration as being this physical field of, of you know, sound resonance or sound vibration that your body's immersed in and also just it's almost part of the quote-unquote meaning of the music is a kind of pure physicality of sound which then kind of paradoxically or not and you you, you handled this very interestingly in in your book uh that 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 sense of extreme physicality resonating you know you're listening to the music live in your chest as much as your ears your 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 Embed, you're you're bathing in the sound. You're submerged in the sound. All of these very physical experiences are linked to this kind of mysticism, this sense of otherworldliness, of travel, of altered states, of other worlds, of imaginal dimensions, and that that tension between the the physicality and the expanse seems seems really key and really key to the way that you've described some of the phenomenology or some of the ways that people respond to the music. Yeah, I was. I was. Firstly, I was really interested in not so much kind of drone as a, as a as a technical musical characteristic, but more the, the how kind of the idea of drone was really important to the way that kind of people felt and engaged with and communicated about this music. So I loved it when people kind of started talking to me about about how not only was it was this kind of music really droney and other stuff wasn't droney enough, but they some people even talked about being droned. <laughs> or, or one person even uh, said that um, uh, he went to he went to watch a, a show by Grave Temple, I think it was, or a son, and um, his his partner who went to see it with him uh, felt like she had her skull droned away. So I feel like that really um, not only the um, the kind of musical characteristics, which as you said, kind of links like a sonic ca characteristic to a, to an aspect of the physical experience. Um, but also that it's that it's it's not just drone as a as a kind of as a thing unto itself, but it's it's, it's being droned. It's something that happens to you, or that you that you submit yourself to, or endure. Yeah, um, so that was great. One um, of the I also think that um, the that was kind of one of the things that I I was uh, that I noted that it, it does seem like at first at least it seems like something of a paradox where on the one hand you have people really affirming the importance of the of the extreme physical experience of listening to this loud sound being kind of vibrated by this super amplified bass in kind of communion with other people, not necessarily kind of communicating verbally or even with eye contact but with, with other people in these dark rooms, sometimes filled with smoke, but that it's important to, to kind of be there with other people in this like extreme drone situation. And so this feels really kind of physically embodied. But then on the other hand, the, the, the kind of imagery and the artwork for a lot of these records, the ways that people talk about things often were kind of much more um, 
sort of imaginary other places. I called them uh, imaginary elsewheres, like other times, other spaces, other states of bodily consciousness. So like um, people would, it, when asked to kind of talk about this music, whether in interviews with me or like in reviews that this often comes up, people will talk about vast deserts or being shot out into space by listening to this music. Um, so, in a so in a sense, there's initially a kind of it seems a bit of a contradiction that on one hand the experience makes you super in your body in the here and now, um, but in another way, it it sort of evokes these very kind of um, these spaces marked by kind of extremes of otherness. Um, yeah, you but in the end, I feel like I kind of managed to kind of bring those back together as if it was um, in 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 sort of perhaps understanding it as as um, they could be both kind of experiences of extreme alterity while being a, a really kind of deeply, uh, an experience that's deeply embodied in, in, in a kind of bodily consciousness, I suppose. Yeah, for me, that, that's part of the, <clears throat> the key to the, to the trance. And I'll, I'll use that term, you know, knowing whatever, without, without too many uh, problems. I mean, you talk, you talk uh, how a lot of people who describe this music, a lot of people you interviewed, fans, you know, would talk about meditation or they talk about trance. And most of the time, they're probably not even necessarily that familiar with meditation. Yeah. But I, I am familiar with meditation. And, 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 I, and that uh, dynamic you just described, to me, is, is extremely central to uh at least my practice, and has become more so, which is that I'm more aware, even as the state, the, the whatever you want to call them, mind states or altered states, whatever you want to call it, the, the mind states are more unusual, uh, less like ordinary existence in some ways. The experience of it being physically embodied, of being present in the body, you know, in the breathing body and the pulsing body and the, the body of flesh, the body that's going to die, that that mm -hmm. is actually that that's brought forward more and more so that when I go, when I let myself go into trance or at these kinds of shows, it's a very familiar feeling for me in a way that that makes, you know, I, I would be like one of your, you know, I'd be one of the uh, people you would quote as an ethnographer because I would be going on about making these connections between uh, you know, meditative experience, if we want to call that spiritual or not. I, I don't know. I know that's another question, but uh, but there's definitely sort of an interesting connection with these physical experiences. And I, and I wanted to ask you one thing about that is that you don't talk very often about your own experiences, you know, some in, in some really interesting ways. You talk about being ill at a, at a Sun Oak uh, concert or a sleep concert and how yeah. that sort of state of being ill actually kind of worked with the music, I thought, in a very interesting way. But you also talk about... Um, how you've had the experience listening to this music of of yourself getting sort of visual images of mountains mm -hmm. and deserts and vast places. So it's not just a purely linguistic, you know, game of like, well, we learn to s describe this music in these otherworldly terms, even if those images were s partly suggested by the album covers and how people talk about it. There is a sort of phenomenological side of this of this music that has, at least for some people, this kind of visionary or, or transcendental uh, mm -hmm. character, which is just so fascinating. Yeah, and and um, and I think it's a. Uh, I think what I tried to do is is maybe 
forestall the kind of immediate, perhaps skeptical argument, which would be to say that, well, there is a couple album covers with deserts and mountains on, therefore it's, 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 it's obvious that that's the source um, for people having these kind of Im images in their heads when they're listening to those bands and bands that sound similar to those. Um, but then of course that misses the question of why those bands chose to put deserts and mountains on their album covers in the first place. So I think it's a much more kind of circular feedback process, pun intended, um, between audiences uh, and musicians, musicians all of whom are listeners themselves and so on. And so I think that's what I was really keen to, to, to look at. Overall, I guess my approach to kind of looking at any kind of popular music culture is to really kind of uh, involve the audiences in, uh, or, or to treat the, treat the culture as if it's um, at least partly constituted by audiences, how they, uh, engage with and experience the music first, but also how they communicate about it and and contribute to a kind of participation in a music culture themselves. Yeah, that seems like a, a great approach, particularly with this music. I mean, one of the things you you point out is that the the listener experience is a more central part of the genre than and than in some other musics where people might be more frequently just talking about the lyrics or the bands or the singers and that's really where the you know and that maybe people enjoy dancing to it or enjoy listening to it but here the the listener is part of the feedback loop in a more mm -hmm. inten intensely driven uh driven way do you have any sense of like and 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 you compare that for example with the way that with similar things in in say psytrance or in dub music where there's also a kind of nebulous spirituality that has to do with people's physical experiences but there's also very much a sense that the the meaning of the the music is is in these experiences that listeners and dancers um are having uh why does that come up why why do you why did that why did that come up in metal what is that what does that say about the, uh, the 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 possibilities of music, or the ways in which music comes to fulfill certain functions, let's say that we once would look towards towards religion or towards explicit uh, ritual. Yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of the 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 really big question that kind of hangs behind the whole of kind of the project, really, um, and I suppose I'm not I, I wouldn't. Um, think that I've, I've kind of come to a final answer about this, but certainly I was interested to try and um, perhaps not so much kind of, yeah, answer that question as why this is happening in metal now, but rather to kind of track some of the ways in which those responses to that question are constructed by listeners and other participants in this, in this kind of metal culture. Um, and I think it's, it's really interesting. I think it, um, I think there's, there were obvious, um, uh, it, it can obviously be seen in some ways as a response to things like kind of the secularization thesis and ideas about kind of modernity being disenchanted and so on and people searching for a kind of um, something about something that kind of has the, has the aura of religiosity, even though people might often have uh, concerns about committing to to religious institutions of one kind or another. So I think that was what what was really interesting was um, the the frequency with which 
Uh, I spoke to people who said, I mean, I spoke to some people who said, who identified with a particular religious tradition. Um, and that was interesting. I would say the majority of people I spoke to said that they weren't religious, but it often came up that a, a, a kind of fascination with religion or an interest in religion, or uh, which was always combined with a sense that religion was something strange and mysterious to them. Yeah. Um, so I kind, of, I kind of ended up arriving at, at, the, at the idea of, of listening as if, um, and this was important in terms of religion because it almost allowed, I think, people who were not religious but were interested in or even kind of confused by what religion meant. Um, but it allowed them to listen as if it was religious, so as if they were at a ritual, which people kind of talked about a lot. Um, and I think this allowed people to engage with their fascination with religion, but also to... to um, to sustain its mystery for them, which was clearly quite powerful. Yeah. Um, and so at first it seemed like, um, so people describing Sun concerts, for example, people who really loved Sun and had seen them lots of times um, would say things like, um, it was a mysterious ritual. It was, it, was an, it was an invocation, but I don't know what they were invoking. And so I came to kind of think that maybe this, maybe this sense of not quite knowing what was going on, putting yourself in a, in a place of, which has these kind of religious or ritual or mystical kind of connotations and, and affective qualities was something that was really attractive to people. But, but also the fact that, they, that there was this sense of like, there's something mysterious and strange going on, that there's like a weirdness that isn't easily reductive to, to, to an explanation oh they're doing this ritual oh they're they're following this particular service or whatever that ambiguity which i think is powerfully um heightened by um the the kind of medium of sound and the kind of enveloping qualities of this bass amplification that was really powerful and i and i think that perhaps also kind of reflects my interest in it which allows me to have kind of done a doctoral thesis and written a book about uh, these kinds of experiences and this kind of music while still not claiming to kind of know what's going on with with people but kind of being able to enjoy and engage with that kind of that idea of religion as strangeness yeah that, that was that was beautifully said really wonderful just i was just thinking because again people might not know what suno looks like in uh in concert if you could just describe for example what are the particular features of a of a, of a concert and why people might experience them or, or describe them mm -hmm. as, as being ritualistic so so i i've seen i went to see san a number of times um during the fieldwork it was it was interesting they're probably the best known and kind of most critically acclaimed drone metal band i think that's probably uncontroversial um, and i hadn't actually seen them perform before i started so actually it was great to talk to people i did some of the interviews before i'd seen them and so i got from other people this kind of excited oh you're going to love it it's going to be amazing these excited descriptions and then i saw them a couple of times um, so the the first time was in uh, in belgium and so i arrived at this concert hall and the the kind of the smoke machines uh, start a good hour before the performance started, um, and so they the by the time the band come on stage, the smoke was so thick you could hardly see your hand in front of your face. And then throughout this long concert, there's billowing clouds of smoke which are lit from from behind. You have a kind of 
um, a row of amplifiers, which um, people have often described as, as like monoliths or standing stones or a, or a kind of stonehenge of amplifiers, um, kind of with their those those red lights blinking in this billowing fog. And then the band come on uh, dressed in these black hooded robes uh, and proceed to play this extremely loud amplified dirge music. Um, which goes on for a long periods of time. The first time I saw them, they, they, they played for nearly three hours, um, throughout which you're kind of just standing there really intensely kind of feeling the, the kind of extension and dimensions of your body, your, the, the muscles in your legs starting to sag because you've been rooted to the spot for hours, feeling the kind of intense vibration in your, in your chest. Um, and so it really is, uh, a kind of feat of endurance to even kind of just sit through a concert. Um, I spoke to some people who actually, um, one guy who said his his lung collapsed at a, at a Sun gig. He went to the show and the pressure of the sound made him sort of feel a pain in his chest. He went to the doc's, doctor the next day and, and his, his, his lung had collapsed. Uh, so people, it's kind of part of the mythology of, of the band that there's, people have quite extreme physical responses. I spoke to somebody else who said that um, she 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 actually wanted to leave, but felt physically rooted to the spot and couldn't even. Uh, she had a cup of water in her hand, but she couldn't even kind of move to uh, to drink it because it's it's sort of almost a, a partly a kind of real sonic vibration, but also a kind of almost a, a something of a kind of psychological spell with this this in the intensity of all this kind of ritual paraphernalia going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's clearly a powerful thing, you know, to, 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 to square what you just described with what the point you had made before about, about ambiguity in religiosity and, and the way in which ambiguity functions positively in this music to allow people to kind of explore, experience, even create their own forms of really religiosity without sort of going over the, the line, whatever that is, whether it's, you know, dogma or, or, or a different mm-hmm. kind of identity. Um, the, one of the things I was thinking about that in order in order to pull that off, you have to somehow sequester the the kind of the sense of of irony and the sense of kind of banal knowingness that goes mm-hmm. along with so much culture today because we're all inundated with all this information. We, you know, anything that we discover, we're already in a discursive world where there's critics and there's language around it. And it just becomes so sort of self-referential and often the result is a certain kind of irony. And you do talk about jokes. I really love the parts where you talk about the way that the jokes people make about, that fans make about this genre, let us understand more aspects of it. But at the same time, it seems to me that these gestures of the extreme and, and also the ways in which, and, and, and it remains a mystery to me exactly uh, as well, how these bands create a space for, let's call it, earnest, something earnest. You know, mm-hmm. rather, I don't want to use the word authentic, which is so complicated. But there is something about earnest where you, are, you, you show up and you describe it really when you talk about people who listen to these records at home and how there, a lot of people, a lot of the people you talked to were like, it was a ritual. It was like you had to set up the room right. You were done with all your tasks. You were going to listen, you know, 100% to the whole record. You weren't going to do anything else. You, maybe you had a glass of absinthe. Maybe you, you, you smoked your joint. It was, it was, there was very much a sense that this thing was set aside and that even though you were 
enjoying a record, you know, very banal, very, you know, 20th century, 21st century. There was a way in which that a certain seriousness was allowed, like because Mm -hmm. the seriousness lets you lets the enjoyment happen. And I just when I read that, I was like, God, I do the same thing. Like, you know, it's not the same thing to put on whatever, you know, some, you know, Grateful Dead record or whatever else I'm listening, you know, some classical record or whatever. You well, know, I'm gonna, if I'm going to put or... on the new the new Yob record, I'm going to be like, OK, I'm going to this is what I'm going to yeah. listen to now. I'm going to turn the lights low. And I was sort of doing it unconsciously. But I did that because I derive a certain kind of spiritual sustenance or whatever you want to call it from listening to this music in a way that's very similar to a lot of the people you describe. And I and I think about what is it that lets me in a way get away with that seriousness, because if you look at a band like Sleep where there's all this references to weed and we, yeah. we weed references are already inherently kind of goofy. I mean, there's, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, there's a silliness to just stoner humor and stoner references and, and the, the way that cannabis kind of fuzzes your mind. And they're very silly. Like uh, on the new record, yeah. the, there's the marijuana knot and the, uh, the, the track starts with the sound of a bong. Now that's not earnest. And yet somehow even yeah, maybe I, even by doing that, I'm a, I'm able to kind of enter that music in a way that lets me go. It's okay, man. If you want to feel transcendence, if you want to feel the sadness of the world or the ecstasy of the infinite t- times and spaces, go ahead, go for yeah. it, kid. Yeah, I think I think there's something really. I think there's something really nice about metal humor or the relationship with 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 humor and metal and perhaps extremity and i think that's and i, I agree that it's it's it, it kind of it, it escapes the sort of anxieties of irony that you that you kind of rightly describe in a lot of culture um but it's but that's and and it, i agree, and i think it does allow a certain serious but seriousness but that's also not to say that it kind of avoids humor because sleep being a good example um but i, I wonder whether it's almost because the the kind of goofy stoner references are almost pushed to an extreme themselves so in in dope smoker um you have this hour-long song which is all about a kind of you know pilgrimage of weedians to the sacred holy land where they're gonna smoke ganja all day um and so i think it's 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 not this kind of knowing ironic humor but it is goofy but it's almost pushed to a, a, an extreme of of preposterousness um, or ridiculousness. But like, and then it doesn't matter. Um, and I think there's, yeah, I think I think what's what I love about metal. One of the things is that it's almost it can be completely serious and completely ridiculous at the same time, and they don't cancel each other out. And that's and that's fine, and they can be enjoyed for their own thing. Yeah. It also makes me think. Um, I think, yeah, just and, and just because things might be funny or make you laugh, it doesn't mean they're not serious or or can have serious applications or 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 implications. Um, and so I think of. Um, I went to see Sun, and they played in uh, in London at this kind of quite uh, a, a concert hall that's that's more commonly 
you might expect to find more classical music um, in there. And they came on and they and they they you know with their robes and the smoke, and they played their first chords and it was extremely loud, and somebody burst out laughing, um, and I completely got that because it put me right in mind of my reaction when I go on roller coasters. Um, and there's the, uh, some people yell, some people scream, some people hold on tight and go white in the face. When I go on roller coasters, I, I burst out laughing and I just can't stop laughing all the way through. Um, and there's something about that kind of physical ex ex extreme experience of going on a roller coaster, which actually put me in mind of that. I kind of recognized that when I heard somebody kind of just with this spontaneous burst of laughter when sun played and it wasn't so much necessary that it was funny but that laughter is a is a response to kind of to to an extreme uh extreme situation or or even the absurdity of something and that's actually i think that's actually uh, also you can find in some kind of in some forms of meditation or um it's a it's a can be a reaction when you when you take psychedelic drugs for example you can you I, I, i've kind of often felt that that you're that you're you're giggling uncontrollably at the absurdity of the world and that can actually be part of quite a a, a transcendental and and kind of mind-opening experience absolutely i to i totally agree with you and and to celebrate this uh this 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 insight i want to play that that uh, the beginning of that track from the the new sleep record which is called the sciences highly regarded record really uh, quite uh, sonically interesting some great riffs and some humor and so here we're just going to hear a uh a, 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 the initial sample from the track marijuana marijuana's theme so like uh, astronaut marijuana's theme so here we go Right, sleep from their new record, uh, the sciences, with that nice little uh, bong there uh, going off to remind you, uh, you know, uh, you know that there's there's something that you can do as a listener to enhance this experience, uh, and and that 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 reference to drugs in in their you know their music in particular, uh, which I think you hear is, is a little more obvious than in other uh, uh, other uh, drone acts, but one of the things that it, it points to again is that is that that part of the experience of this music is a state of mind or a state of consciousness or a change of consciousness or a change of listening or some way mm -hmm. that, that you are experiencing as a, as a listener, not just that you're consuming a song, that you're enjoying a song, but that you have this kind of opportunity uh, to go inside uh, the music. And, and that reminded me of one of the kind of images that comes up a lot that you talk about in the book, which is these these images of, of pilgrimage. So I just like mm -hmm. to hear a little bit about that and 
and particularly the way that within that language of, of pilgrimage, you know, we hear pilgrimage, we don't think Satanism, we don't think, you know, Wiccan priests, we don't think Druids necessarily. When we hear pilgrimage, we think of like going to the Holy Land, going to, you know, to more um, monotheistic religions in, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And that comes up a lot in, in Ohm records and in earth references to angels, that there's there's a way in which that one of the interesting things in religious terms about drone metal is that even though we've, you know, heavy metal has been associated with some kind of mythic or mystical or, you know, druggy religiosity for since the beginning, you know, Black Sabbath or some Zeppelin tracks or whatever, that there, there's a particularly interesting turn towards uh, the monotheistic in at least some of uh, some of this drone metal that seems to be involved with pilgrimage. I'm not really sure. I'm I'm, I'm trying to put the pieces together, but uh, you've thought a lot about it, so I, I'd like to hear your reflections. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think Om would be the obvious example here. I think it's um, I think the their album title from a few years ago, "God Is Good," certainly seems to kind of stick out somewhat in the history of metals relationship with 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 christianity perhaps um yeah so definitely um pilgrimage was an important i guess first um uh i should say that like that not everybody that i spoke to or or that is involved in in or or cares about this music um necessarily even cares about this these kind of religious or ritualistic or mystical elements some people say no that all of that stuff doesn't really mean anything to me so i think it's important to and they just think it's cool music that they love and 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 that's that and that's how they kind of contextualize it in their lives so i think it's important to kind of at least note that that this is not absolutely everybody who's involved in this and that there's a very there's a kind of very broad diversity of of perspectives on ritual and drone metal and and ways of engaging with um, those aspects of it um i think yeah pilgrimage is definitely really really important um and i think i think perhaps maybe not so much about monotheism because in om for example you you do see a lot of references to um vedic religion um and buddhism for example that's that also comes up in 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 other bands um so um, but I think the, the idea of pilgrimage is definitely super important. And, and one of the things that I um, was really fascinated by was firstly that like the pilgrimage comes up in kind of what I call the content of people's descriptions, whether it's in talking to me or um, in writing reviews, which I read hundreds, if not thousands of, um, that people would say, yeah, like listening to this puts me in mind of, of, a, of a particular pilgrimage. I'm on a pilgrimage or it makes me think of, of other people on a pilgrimage. And I think that what's interesting about that is perhaps that a pilgrimage is something that we associate generically with religion, but perhaps not any specific religion. So again, there's that kind of restoring of, of ambiguity there. Um, another thing that I've found was interesting is not just in the level of the not just at the level of content, but there was a certain kind of shifting, moving around in the way that um, people actually kind of constructed even grammatically their sentences of how they talked about pilgrimage and listening. Um, so, for example, in the same short review, this happened quite a lot, but there was one particular. Uh, review it, it, it um, described uh, an OM album as um, 
uh, as music that was about pilgrimage. And then a couple of sentences later, it described the record as a pilgrimage. And then a couple of sentences later still, it described it as if it was the music that you could imagine pilgrims listening to when they'd finished their pilgrimage. Um, and so I thought this was really interesting that you've almost got like pilgrimage, which talks about a kind of movement, um, perhaps between in, across a, a kind of religiously coded landscape um, in the imagination, shall we say. Um, but also then even at the, even the kind of, the connections that, that people were making between listening to drone metal and the idea of pilgrimage, the way that that, that connection was constructed or imagined, even that was also shifting. Um, and so I thought that that was, again, a really kind of important marker of this kind of shifting ambiguity. Um, and again, I think that kind of really comes out of the, the kind of musical medium for these ideas or, or experiences or engagements that kind of the, the feel of listening to music is in, in particularly this like monotonous but kind of moving, developing, evolving, um, slow kind of dirge just kind of keeps going, it keeps going and, and it kind of allows your mind to kind of drift or, or travel in these ways allowing yeah. a kind of engagement with these kind of weird ideas but one that doesn't necessarily have to arrive at somewhere final whether that's the imagined kind of site that you're uh, the, the pilgrims are heading towards or even a kind of more abstract level it doesn't have to arrive at a final determination of what your own relationship to religiosity is it kind of allows a kind of constant evolving moving kind of sonic engagement with these ideas that uh, that that doesn't have to end in a kind of closure it keeps these these possibilities open yeah yeah that's that's really uh, really really well said again and i i uh, i mean for me that that what what interests me about that is that i i associate that that very ambiguity that reluctance to resolve with a, a, a kind of what you might call a, a mode of spirituality, the same way that, that humor uh, can be part of not just psychedelic experiences or metal experiences, a certain kind of humor, uh, but even, you know, we could find it in Zen or whatever. You can, there, there's, there are elements of these things that I think are actually, they're actually quite, uh, quite deep and we can make connections with, with other kinds of uh, religious systems other times and places, but one of the things that 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 strikes me about that kind of underscores the, you know, if you will, the sophistication or at least the the um, the richness of the of this ambiguity is when you think about it, compare it to like you know a lot of prog rock records from the '70s that are trying to be mythic and epic and gods and demons and the, the covers and the song lyrics and the titles or whatever, and you know some of them are are, are still still work in a certain way, but 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 from this perspective that we're talking about, they're so overdetermined, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're almost telling you what to, what the story is. So, you know, it's like program music, but with this music, there's, there, it's like bands have kind of discovered or stumbled into a way of providing just enough cues so that your imagination begins to play in this space of ambiguity or the space of possibility that's not really quite resolved and you're doing it as a listener, you're doing it as someone who's enjoying vibration, mm -hmm. as someone who's thinking about images, thinking about uh, song titles. Um, and it's just, it's just like you don't need that much. And in a way, it, it affirms and I think to some degree returns the imagination to the listener. And you, you, you mentioned that in, in the book at one point, you talk about 
seeing a show, and I don't remember what the act was, but seeing a show where there were, were visuals. And you were almost kind of annoyed by the visuals because it seemed mm-hmm. to sort of overdetermine the emptiness or the, 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 the lack of imagery, which is an encouragement for your own journey, you know, for your own construction uh, of these nebulous suggestions into something that is, is kind of your own. And so I, I wonder whether that's also part of the reason that people associate this stuff with, with spirituality or they have a real a, a kind of you know, earnest relationship to it as meaningful yeah. music is because in a way it lets you, you know, be, become the site of your own imagina- uh, imagination, imagining, uh, rather than just kind of plugging into uh, a formatted script or set of ideas. Yeah, there's um, there was a, a a book um by Michael Saylor um who's kind of uh, theorized um kind of fantastic literature like uh, Tolkien for example and Lovecraft um and he he uses an idea of um this kind of as if thinking but he takes it in a in a different way and he describes the um part of the the kind of I, I, perhaps the imaginative power of something like Tolkien as the fact that it's um, he, what he calls, I, th- I think it's a, a rationalizing imagination in which the, like Tolkien, you've got the Lord of the Rings, there's maps, there's appendices, there's family trees, there's whole kind of languages that have been developed and, and, and kind of nailed down. Um, and so he's arguing that it's the internal consistency to, to, to these imagined worlds and the detail and so on. Um, that gives them the kind of power for for people's imagination. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because it seemed like, as you've suggested, that it's it's actually something almost completely opposite to that that's happening in 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 drone metal. Um, and so that's so a, a good example is um, is the band Bong from the UK um, in several of their albums. Um, in fact, the the majority they have these kind of wonderful. Um, pieces of, of uh, like often kind of 30 minutes long of just this kind of really um, great kind of distorted slow doom drone music um, and often um, the sort of a, a few minutes in um, the the bass player will kind of intone a couple of lines from um, Lovecraft or more often uh, Lord Dunsany kind of this this fantastic literature uh, about kind of you know gods creating the world and so on, um, and what's great about that is that there's just there's just a couple of lines towards the beginning of the song, and then this kind of expanse of of kind of really richly distorted kind of um, music, um, and yeah, it definitely kind of allows you um, to kind of take that as 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 a starting point, but it's but it's in no way kind of determined and over determined. Um, somebody. Uh, described their, those quotes at the beginnings of the songs as being like a, a jumping off point for, for dreaming. Mm. Um, and the the quotes themselves are often kind of neatly about stories which are about kind of people who end up dreaming and end up in other worlds and so on. But even that isn't, it, it's not kind of, it's not restricting you to, to those kind of things. Um, and so I think there's, I think that that really allows a kind of freedom, which kind of that, that, that kind of Tolkien-esque world of, of, of maps and family trees and so on, while kind of wonderful in, in, in another way, um, does kind of close off possibilities. Yeah. And, that, and, I think that's, and I think it's, yeah, it, it really seems like 
it's um, a, a powerful kind of avenue or resource for people to kind of have that imaginative um, kind of creativity for themselves. Um, and also kind of a, just a space in which kind of going back to the ambiguity and mystery of religion, a space in which it's, it's not only okay, but it's actually maybe productive and interesting and valuable um, to, to not know, to, to be okay with not knowing. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's super key. I mean, and it, and it is an interesting di difference. We, we had Michael uh, Saylor on, on the show uh, and I'm very uh, attracted to his idea or another way he describes it is, you know, either disenchanted enchantment or enchanted disenchantment. I can't <laughs> remember which which direction, but you, you're you right to pull out that dis that difference, that distinction. It reminds me a little bit more of what um, Kojo Eshun called uh, sonic fictions. And at first you hear sonic fictions. And again, you think about lyrics, like lyrics telling a story or something like that. And that's not what he means at all. He means the way that that sound environments, and he was talking about more electronic music and, and hip hop and, and stuff. Um, but the way in which they allow a sort of space of possibility that has that fictional mm -hmm. quality or that dreamlike quality, but it's not because there's lyrics, it's not because anybody's telling you um, what to do. And in a way, we're surrounded by these sonic fictions all the time, you know, ambient music in a, in a consumer environment in a mall or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of people that want us to kind of ride on these. And there's something about the, um, I don't know what it is. There's, it's, there's, there's almost a kind of, not humility, but there's, there's a generosity in this particular music in the sense of not taking this energy that is produced and focusing it on a heroic lead guitarist or the singer who is channeling everyone's, you know, pain and suffering and desire, uh, or, you know, even just the kind of overly ritualistic sense of the, of the event as something that you have to return to or whatever, that there, there's this, a, a kind of abstraction or a kind of willingness to serve something that's outside of just the particular band that mm -hmm. I think people respond to in a really, it's an unusual, I think it's an unusual space within, yeah. within music. And, and, I, and I think when you, when, like, when thinking about, about these kinds of popular culture, um, sometimes it's, it's easy to kind of drift into a, a kind of sociological mode where you're kind of looking at what, you know, it's perhaps it's effects or what people are, are, are doing with these things. So some some kind of of the older books about popular music, for example, you'd be able to read the entire thing. You'd know what fashion it inspired, but you wouldn't have much idea of even what it sounded like. So I tried to kind of continually think about how um, how these ideas about kind of open endedness and and kind of mysticism and kind of the mysteries of ritual and religion were kind of not only kind of involved in the culture of, of, of the music, but, but in the sound itself. And so I think things like slowness and kind of manipulation of time in repetition or just kind of these kind of static moving drones, um, a sense of space in the sound and like just the, just the real kind of rich complexities of distortion um, in the sound itself, I think is really important to kind of connect all of these things back to, to, to those ideas. Also, I guess the idea of um, distortion itself being a kind of an excess of the capacity of a channel um, to kind of 
uh, of a channel of sound. And so almost when you hear a distorted signal, you're almost hearing a kind of sounding of the limits of that signal. And I think that connects back to kind of mystical discourse um, in, in interesting ways. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I just, we don't really have that. We have about five more minutes, but I just wanted to note that you have a, an entire wonderful chapter on on kind of amplifier worship in which you make the the point that the central instrument in this music is not the guitar but rather the amplifier and uh the way that that, that the materiality and the technology and then the the physical presence of the amplifier you talked earlier about the kind of uh, stonehenge like uh sort of sent you know presence of these things um on the stage uh it it does uh, invite uh, people into the kind of qualities of the music that the, the timbre, the texture of the sounds, the texture of the distortion outside of the usual markers of um, so- songs and rhythms and re- resolutions and chords. Yeah, and, and I, notes. Think, I think just, just the, the people often said just the distance from uh, other forms of music or even other forms of metal was partly kind of what prompted this, these kind of interesting kind of relations between imagination and kind of their bodily consciousness of listening at concerts or their their setting up of the room that that this the extremeness of this music was was part of kind of what was what was special about it and then they responded to that kind of unusualness by creating kind of other i guess parameters around that in which to kind of enhance that kind of wonderful weird strangeness yeah, ex- excellent. So again, we only have a few minutes left, and I, at the beginning, I asked you what you were doing, and I thought you'd say, "Well, I'm, you know, teaching at this institution, whatever." And, and you said instead that you're currently a, a researcher at a at a music therapy charity. And so obviously, this you know instantly fascinates me. And again, we only have a couple of minutes, but I, I'm just curious whether uh, when you think about how music therapy might work, whether there's some connection with some of the issues that you were studying with uh, with drone metal, which clearly provided something to many of its fans, maybe in a different way than a lot of a lot of other kind of music. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of work, working working in research for a music therapy charity. Some of uh, what I'm doing is more kind of monitoring the the impact of of music therapy interventions and and kind of uh, studying how music therapy, uh, kind of more standard music therapy, works in in schools and hospitals and so on. But I think that what what interested me in the first place was that that these this these ideas about mysticism and and transcendence and ritual in drone metal often kind of um, we're, we're kind of nudging up against other ideas that people often use like about catharsis and, and, and therapy even and healing that in, in their responses to the music. So I think there's, de- there's definitely uh, some, there's something about this music which was, which was valuable in, in a kind of, in terms of ideas about health for, for some people. Um, I haven't got to the stage of uh, prescribing drone metal records or concerts to people yet, but but we'll see. Well, what kind of music do they use? Um, it's uh, it's mostly improvised music, um, so a kind of creating a kind of improvised musical space between the kind of participants. So it's very much based on kind of live improvisation rather than listening to recordings or uh, and so on. But but that is one of the things that I'm interested in how whether whether there's any kind of intermediate um, kind of things. Uh, areas where people maybe might be might be using 
recorded music or their own musical participation because it certainly seemed like from the from the the many interviews that I did with people who listened to drone metal that they were certainly using this music in a very kind of um, intentional way and often for um, for quite kind of important and uh, aspects or, or engagements with music in which in some cases people would talk about in terms of as responses to to stress or or even alienation or trauma um, and so I think there's there's definitely a kind of valuable area in which maybe we could um, understand better how kind of these quite extreme forms of music might be used in um, uh, in areas that might kind of assist people in in terms of therapy and health particularly given the kind of the the, the history of of metal's reputation as causing things like aggression and violence which yeah is based on some bad research i'm hoping to be able to contribute to thinking in uh, in more open-minded ways about about the value of these things for people. yeah I, I look forward to that very much i mean uh, again we gotta we gotta wrap it up here but the, the you, in the end you, you make some very interesting comments about violence and suffering and and the way that the music sort of allows that uh, a space for that kind of thing and, and and i can imagine that you know being squared with your your interest in in music therapy but unfortunately we have to wrap it up there so uh uh owen coggins hey thanks so much this was a, a really really wonderful conversation I, I hope you enjoyed it thank you great to talk okay great well folks uh, until next week keep your minds open <laughs>